My name is Brian. Thank you so much for joining us on this holiday weekend. Um, hello to everyone online, uh, whether you're at your lake house or some beautiful vacation spot or just at home. Thank you so much for joining us. Or if you're watching it later this week, thank you. Um, that's the amazing thing that, I, that has been so awesome about COVID. I don't say that very often about COVID, that anything out of it is awesome, but it's pushed churches into doing things that we're not comfortable with and doing things that were out of the ordinary and recording and live streaming is one of them. And what that's done is it's opened up the opportunity for people who can't be here on Sunday mornings or to have things going on that they can be connected and watch and hear God's word throughout the week. You can go back and, and listen to messages Throughout the week, you can listen to what's going on and be connected, and, and I think that's so powerful. I think that's so amazing that we can do that. And so again, if you're online, thank you so much for joining us. Um, this morning, we're going to start um, a series, and right now, um, series for me are a little different because I teach this week, and then I'm off for two weeks, and then I teach again, but um, anytime you see me, we're going to be in this series called First Questions. Uh, in my seminary program that I'm in, uh, I'm in my Old Testament survey class, so you can pray for me. Um, one of the things, the biggest task that we're asked to do is to, in one sitting, read each of the books of the Old Testament. Not Psalms. Psalms is broken up because that would be ridiculous. But so I sat and read Genesis the other day, and it was awesome. It was because you forget how much is in there. Like if someone says a story, oh yeah, that's from Genesis, oh yeah, that's from Genesis, but it's not until you sit down and read it cover to cover that it's like, oh my word, like every story is in Genesis. But as I was looking at that, it hit me really quickly and really early on, because it's early on in scripture, just the power and things that we can learn from the first questions that were asked. So this week, we're gonna look at Satan's first question to mankind. And then in a couple weeks, three weeks from now, we're gonna look at God's first question to mankind. And then after that, we'll look at mankind's first question to God and see what we can learn about the different people and what takeaways we can get and how we can apply uh, the lessons that are being learned there. And so um, we're gonna be in Genesis 3, looking at um, Satan's first question to mankind. Uh, but I'm gonna pray first. Uh, settle my heart, settle your heart, and get us ready to hear from the word of God. So if you'll join me. Father God, you are so good. And thank you so much for our worship team um, leading us to your throne and to your presence. And I couldn't help but just um, like want to just chase after you as we're singing those songs. And this morning, I pray that that's the, uh, our, our, our posture, is that we want to chase after you, we want to see you, we want to know you, we want to understand you. That we're not just here to check off a box on our weekly to-do lists or, or to see people, but God, we're here to, to learn about you to grow deeper in our walk with you, maybe start a walk with you this morning. But God, all of us come in with different uh, struggles, different questions, different um, things that we're dealing with. And so God, I pray for a moment that we could um, push all the stress of life. God, life is real hard and real crazy, especially right now. But God, that we could push that aside, just kind of rest and be at peace in this place with our people um, to hear your word. So God, give us ears to hear hearts that are ready to be molded, feet that are ready to be moved into action. And God, anything that I say that's from me and my imagination, let it be forgotten before anyone leaves this room. And everything that's from you, let it stick forever. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter three. I'm reading from the ESV. That's my uh, favorite Bible translation. It doesn't mean it has to be yours. It's just the one that I tend to like. Um, but I always say, find one that you like to read, okay? 
Find one that you like to read. There's a whole spectrum. There's the NRSV and the King James over here, which are much more word for word, all the way over here to the Passion Translation or the Message, which is um, sometimes more of an interpretation of Scripture. And there's a whole gamut in the middle. So find a verse, find a, a, a style that you like to read because that's going to be one of the focuses this morning is you need to be in Scripture. So find one that you like to read. Genesis 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say? It's going to be our focus this morning. Did God actually say? You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit. We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. I don't know why, but I always want to put a British accent there for him. I don't know why. That's just when I read it, Satan there has a British accent. Introduction to my brain. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of it, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. The man said nothing. Another message for another time. But we're gonna start by looking at um, this character, Satan, the devil, the adversary, because that's what Satan means. Satan means adversary. And we have to understand, and I gave a message a while back, um, that our adversary is not people. It can't be. Our, adver- our adversary is not a, a political group or a, or a, a race or, or whatever we want to battle against. Our adversary is the devil. Our adversary is Satan, has been around from the very beginning, tormenting and picking and confusing and manipulating all the things that he's really, really good at. He's not a creator. He can't do anything new. He just takes what has happened and twists it just a little I watched the message not too long ago where the, 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 the pastor was talking about that the, the devil just takes what you know and just does that. That's all it is. Just a little shift. When you walk around like this for too long, you get real sore. My wife always tells me like when my knee starts hurting, you need to get that checked out. You need to get that taken care of because if the knee is here, all of a sudden your hip and your foot and your back and your upper back, and your neck, and now you can't move. And that's what the enemy does. He starts with just a little tiny lie. Actually, he doesn't even start with a lie. He asks with a question. Did God really say, oh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't, I, I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure. Now, Eve seemed to be real sure, but we're gonna see later on that she wasn't quite as sure as she thought. The word devil means slanderer. That the devil's job is to stand before the throne of God and slander us. He's he's referred to as the accuser of the brethren. He stands before God and looks at me and says, see that guy, Brian? He shouldn't have your love. Do you see what he just did? Do you see what he just said? Do you see the lie that he just told? Do you see that? Do you see how he yelled at his kids? Did Did you see? You can't give him your love. He's not good enough for that. That's the Satan's job. Which sometimes, I gotta be honest, I jump into Satan's job for him. 
You know, when you're at small group sometimes, no, not, not that you, because you're more spiritual than I am, but every once in a while, I'll be in small group and someone will be talking about all the things that God is doing in their life. And I'll just get all sorts of mad. God, you, you know what they're doing. You know this and you know that. Me, me, I go to church. I don't do that. I don't do this. I don't do those things. Why aren't you blessing me? I've jumped into the accuser of the brethren role. My job is to celebrate with them that God is moving in their life, not to accuse them. But that's what the devil does. He slanders us. We're gonna look at a bunch of verses. You don't have to turn there just so we can get an understanding of who we're dealing with. First Peter 5.8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now I've heard lots of, of different messages that, that, well, Peter says that Satan's like a roaring lion and God is a roaring lion. Well, it also says that he can devour you. So I don't care if he's like a lion or is a lion or it's metaphorical or it's real. Peter says he can devour you. He can destroy you. He can eat you up. He can eat you up whole. He can terrorize your life and destroy it completely if you allow him. Because we've got to understand that Satan has real power, but the real power he has is the power we allow him to have in our lives. When we know scripture and we can stand firm on scripture, he can't do anything to us. But when we are questionable on scripture, when we don't understand theology, he can come to us and say, did God really say? And we're like, uh-oh, I didn't pay attention that Sunday school week. I missed that reading in my yearly reading that I stop in early March. That's what we do, right? We get through Genesis and Exodus because they're cool. And then Leviticus, we tend to stop because it's a bit more boring. And we'll pick up in the Psalms again. Revelation 9. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek, he is Apion. That is destroyer and destruction. Those words both essentially mean the same thing, that he comes to destroy. And that's what he did. In the story, he came and he destroyed the relationship that the first beings had with God. They had immediate access. They had equal, they had immediate connection and that was broken. And you and I now struggle all the time to do what scripture says, to go boldly before the throne of grace. We can't do that because like Adam and Eve who first sinned, we have to cover ourselves and hide ourselves from the presence of God because we think we've erred too much or we've sinned too much. Satan has come, the devil has come to destroy relationships. John 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning. Slanderer, murderer, roaring lion, destroyer, and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. 2 Corinthians 11. Verse 14, and no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. That's a scary verse, isn't it? That can be a little bit scary that even, even Satan himself can disguise himself as an angel of light. He can't create, he's not a creative being, but he can take what is done and twist it just enough where we get really confused. And that's why in our fight against the enemy, in our war against the enemy, when it comes to him saying, did God really say, did God really say that? Is that really what scripture says? Is God really gonna come through for you? Because that's essentially what, what Satan is asking. When he says, did God really say, he's asking, can you trust him? 
Can you trust him? My message is not super long and it's not super complicated this morning, I promise. There's only two things that I think we can stand on, two um, steps to take, two points for my message, whatever you wanna put in your notes. There's two ways in which we can deal with Satan asking the question, did God really say? And the first one is we gotta know scripture. We have to. There's no dancing around this. There's, there's not. And I will, I will argue all the time, kind of debate people on this. Well, you need to memorize scripture. You need to memorize scripture. You need to memorize scripture. And I said, well, that's what Google's for, right? Google memorized all the scripture for me. I just need to know some of it. And then I'll Google it and it'll tell me exactly what it says. But I think some of us have, have gotten so wrapped up in memorizing sections of scripture that we know this part real well, but we don't know much else. We've got our favorite verses, Romans 8, 28. We know that one. John 3, 16. We've got, some of you even have whole Psalms memorized. But there's other sections of scripture where what's the point? Because I, I told my kids recently, I don't really care that you know how tall David was or how tall Goliath was or how heavy Goliath's spear was or that he was a Philistine. What's the point? What's the point of that story? How can you apply what is said in that story to your walk with God? How can you fight against the enemy by using the same stuff that David used? I don't, the, the details are the details. We get so lost in the details because we've got, for kids, we do like uh, Bible quizzes and we always say like, okay, well, and there are questions like, most adults have no idea, but the kids memorize it, but they memorize the details and they forget the point. I think we do that a lot. I think we get so lost in, in the weeds of trying to memorize everything that we forget to see the broad stroke of God's grace across Genesis to Revelation. We do that in Revelation too. That, that to me is where we get caught a lot in Revelation is we wanna take Revelation and take all sorts of things that are happening in our world and kind of shove it into Revelation instead of realizing that Revelation is that God wins. That's, that's the whole point of Revelation. God wins. In the end, God wins and it's okay. This world is terrible and it's gonna get worse and it's gonna get worse and it's gonna get worse, but at the end, God wins. And we get to spend the rest of time with God. That's the whole point of Revelation. But we miss that sometimes because we wanna understand all the little ins and outs and ups and downs and, and this and that. And I'm just as guilty. I'm just as guilty. I love finding the, the missing thing or the thing that no one's recognized or the, a message from this part of scripture that I've never heard before instead of realizing no, that's just what it says. Just preach what it says. <laughs> just know what it says. And David in Psalm 119, we're gonna look at quite a few verses in Psalm 119 if you wanna turn there. It's the longest part of your Bible, longest chapter. But I want you to see these because David was a man after God's own heart. And I think part of the reason that it can say that he was a man after God's own heart is because he understood the importance of understanding the statutes and commandments and laws of God. He understood very clearly. And you can see it in Psalm 119. He understood that there is a, a need, a necessity to understand and apply God's word. We're gonna start in verse 11, 119 verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart. Why do we memorize scripture? Not because we can be proud that we memorize scripture so that I might not sin against you. 
If you're gonna memorize scripture, go for it, do it. Memorize the whole thing beginning to end, I'd love it. But don't do it just to memorize it. Don't do it just because the pastor said so or because a mentor of yours says so. Do it so that you don't sin against God. That's the whole point. Scripture is like soap. In the bottle, it does no good. It has to be applied. You can know every word in scripture, but if you don't know how to apply it, it doesn't mean anything. And that's what we'll see with Eve. Eve understood and kind of grasped what, a little bit of what God was saying, but she couldn't apply it in the heat of the moment. And that's why I get myself in trouble. I've got sections of scripture memorized. I know what scripture says. When the enemy comes and tests my trust in God, can I apply it then? Because I'm pretty good at applying it for you. If you come to me and you ask me questions, I can probably give you verses and walk you through and talk with you through. But when it comes to my life, sometimes when the heat is on from the enemy and he comes to me and says, did God really say I draw blanks? I don't, I don't know. I'm pretty sure he said not to do that, but I can't verse it right now. Like, I'm pretty sure that I'm not supposed to do the thing that Satan's wanting me to do. I don't have anything to combat it. Because it's not in my heart. It's mainly just in my head. And if it's just in my head, the enemy's really good at clouding that. Verse 15 and 16. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Man, that's, that's one of those we just need to just kind of sit and soak just in that verse alone. I will meditate. I will think consistently. I will have it running through my brain, your precepts, your laws, your statutes, your commandments, what you want me to do. And I'm gonna fix my eyes upon your ways, the, the way to apply it, the way to do life, the way to be a godly person, the way to be more like Jesus. I read recently and I absolutely love it. God did not send Jesus to die on the cross to make you a better version of you, but to make you more like him. And that's what it means to follow his ways, not my ways or what I think the Bible says, but what the Bible actually says. And to follow it and to meditate on it and fix my eyes on it, verse 16. And then to delight, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Because each one of us have songs that if I played the first four notes, you can sing every word for the rest of that song, right? Everybody has it. Okay, for some of you, it's like kid songs you learn in Sunday school. Like I can start it off and like you just cannot help but sing the rest of it. For others of us who didn't grow up in the church, there's songs that maybe we shouldn't sing in public. But either way, we have them that the moment we hear the beginning, we can go on because for a moment in our lives, we delighted in it. We loved that song. It, it meant so much to us. It was meaningful and it brought emotion. Does scripture do that? Does scripture bring up the same emotion that that song does for you? Does scripture bring up the same memories? Do we have memories based around scripture like we do songs? I, I, I don't. And I realized that this week. And that's why I love songs that have scripture in them because I will have an emotional connection to a song that when I begin singing, hopefully it's got words, I mean, it's got scripture in it. But I don't have times where I've sat around with friends and, and debated and discussed and applied the word of God that brought, brings up emotions because if there's an emotion connected to a memory, you remember it. Do I have that around God's word or just around singing with people 
or having fun with people or listening to music with people, but do I have it around God's word? And I think a lot of you do. I've talked with a lot of you, like you remember specifically there were Sunday school moments when we would have adult Sunday school or there were small group moments that you can remember. There was a breakthrough in my life based on that verse at that moment at that time. I delighted in that moment. Got to be people who delight in God's word. It's not a chore. It's not a task. It's not something we have to do or we're supposed to do. It's something that I wake up in the morning and go, oh my word, I get to open up God's word again today. Even the boring parts. I get to open up the boring parts of God's word and there's gonna be something in there for me. I know it because God's so good. He won't let me open up the Bible without giving me something. Verses 47 and 48. Again, he says the word, for I find my delight in your commandments which I love. None of us like the word obey. It's a dirty, ugly, four-letter word. We don't like the word obey. And there were moments that you can see in David's life, he didn't like it either. His story with Bathsheba, where he sees her bathing and says, I must have her, he has her, gets her pregnant, then kills her husband and marries her. Not his best moment. A moment where he did not delight in the commandments of God. just because we have a moment or sin in our life doesn't mean we can't still love God's word. It just means we have to figure out a way to apply it to that section of our life. Verse 48, I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. I lift my hands in worship, but do I lift my hands when I read God's word? Like, oh, that's good. Oh, Yes. That's because that's what I do in, in worship. God, you're so good. You're so good. And I connect so much emotionally to this moment and this song. I've got to lift my holy hands to you. But it says here, I lift my hands to you towards, I lift my hands towards your commandments. The things in scripture, do I raise my hands when he says, love your neighbors yourself? Oh God, yes, I'm gonna get yeah, so, no, I don't wanna do that. It's hard. People are the worst. I don't wanna love them unconditionally. I want them to do what I want them to do and then in response, I'll give them my love. That's what I wanna do, but that's not what God's word says. 105, 119, 105. This one we know a lot. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Feeling lost this morning? Feeling directionless? It's probably because you're not in God's word. I can 100% say in my time with God, in my journey with God over the last, was it 20, 20, 19 years? Over the last 19 years, when I feel lost, when I feel directionless, when I feel like I'm in the middle of the ocean and have no idea where to go, it's because I haven't read scripture in quite a while. It's just that simple. Or I've read it because I'm supposed to. I've read it because I'm trying to be disciplined. But I don't love it because Satan has taken scripture and just tilted it just a little bit. And I'm lost. I don't have light for my path. I don't have a direction. I don't have it. All right. Can we go to the next slide for me, please? Thank you. My iPad decided to try and reconnect right now, so we'll go. All right, so in Genesis 2, we're gonna see here, this is where I nerd out, okay? You're gonna have to just go with me because like this is Brian just being a nerd, okay? I'm gonna get, I try and be the cool pastor. I try, but I'm not. I'm super nerdy. Okay, so I'm not sure if you can see it, but Lord God is there in green. 
Commanded is there in yellow. This is the commandment from God to Adam and Eve when it comes to what he said about the tree. Because what we need to look at is God's commandment and Eve's response. So here it goes. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden. Go ahead for me. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now you shall surely die is in blue. That did not come out very well. So I apologize. I'm gonna try and get this to reconnect real quick as you guys are reading that. Um, because what I wanna do is I want to be able to see very clearly that God said something. Oh, here we go. We're getting it back. It's coming. It's coming. Maybe it's coming. It's not. It's okay. It's cool. We're gonna wing it. It's fine. Thanks, Bo. Ah, Bo's amazing. Everyone give Bo a round of applause because he hates it. <laughs> he gives me a hard time every day. This is what I get to do to him. Green means go. Perfect. Okay. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Okay. That's what God said. In Genesis 3, we see Eve's response. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. Good job, Eve. So far, so good. And then it begins to fall apart. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Go here. Why is it brought back yet? Are we back to first questions? Hold on. It's probably, yep, I apologize, team. Gotta love when things work. Okay, I'm gonna turn this off, and can you go back to the one we were just on? I apologize. Sorry, live stream, everyone online, bear with me. Here we go, perfect. Oh, awesome. So first mistake that Eve made is she left out the word commanded. She says, but God said. God didn't say. God commanded. It wasn't a request. It wasn't a life would be better if. It was a don't do that. All of my kids in this room know, and all adults actually, you know that there's a difference when your parents said, you probably shouldn't do that and don't do that. There's a drastic difference and Eve missed it. She just completely missed it. She didn't listen to God well enough. God didn't say, you shouldn't eat. He said, do not. Do not. In any circumstance, do not. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. So she misses it there too. God says, you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She says, do you know that tree in the middle of the garden? That tree that's over there, the one that's kind of in the middle-ish, not supposed to touch that one. God said, no, there's, it's a specific name. It's a specific tree. You can't, this is a command from God. When God gives us a commandment, we need to know the statutes of that commandment. The other big one that I thought was amazing, here she uses God, Elohim. When God commands it, it's Lord God, Yahweh Elohim. Small difference, drastic, drastic change. You'll also notice 
that when Satan asked the question, did God say, he uses the same phrase for God that Eve now uses. When God is creating the world, he is Elohim, he is God. When God creates mankind, he is Yahweh Elohim. For all of the Old Covenant, all of the Old Testament, when God is relating to his people, when God is being the God of the covenant, when God is being relational, it is Yahweh Elohim, Lord God. When he is creating, when he is destroying, when he is talking with other nations, he is God Elohim. The big difference here is that she removes the relational aspect of God. She removed the relational aspect of God. Because when we just know God's word and it's not connected to a relationship, it's real easy to violate what God said. It is real easy for me to violate a request from someone who I don't know, nor do I care about. If a stranger says, hey, can you go pick up my dry cleaning for me? Real easy for me to violate that. Don't care, don't know you. I might because I'm nice, but probably not. But if someone I know and I love and I have a relationship with gives me a command or asks me to do something, I'm much more likely to do it. Because that's what we do when we sin against God is we remove the relational aspect. Because when we are relating to Yahweh Elohim, the Lord our God, the God of relationship, the God of covenant, now I'm letting down someone. But if it's just Elohim God, I'm just kind of letting down some giant theological understanding. And it's a huge, huge change. And then at the end, oh, but then she adds. So she leaves out commanded, adds, neither shall you touch it. God never said that. I don't know why. And this, this, sometimes this is what we do. We miss the main point, but we add some other nonsense part that doesn't matter. She misses the main point that I'm not supposed to eat it, but I also can't touch it. It's bad. I shouldn't touch it. God never said you can't touch it. He said, don't eat it. This is the same issue that Jesus has with the Pharisees in the New Testament. You've taken the law and you've built all the fences around it. Just obey the law. Don't worry about the fences. And that's what Eve does. She builds a fence trying to protect it. But then at the end, lest you die versus surely you will die. Lest you die is a possibility. In the Hebrew, when you look at that phrase, it's a possibility. If I eat of that tree and there's, there's a chance, maybe 50-50, that I'm gonna die. God said, actuality, certainty will happen. You will die. Because what we do is we have completely negated the consequence of sin in the church. I do it all the time. That's how I can, that's how I can still sin in my life because I negate the consequence of sin. I don't actually think that, God, that the wages of sin is death. I don't actually believe that. Because if I believe that, and the death that he's talking about is the death of relationship between people, and the death of relationship between me and God, and the death of relationship between me and this church, and me and this other thing, I would probably not do some of the things in my life that I tend to do. But I don't actually believe that God is saying what he's really saying. Well, God didn't really mean die. It's like a metaphorical thing. It's not a big deal. But there's grace. That's my favorite. I do that all the time. 
but there's grace. Even, you know, Paul was talking about God's grace and it's so big that he even had to say, well, if there's grace, should we sin more so more grace abounds? And Paul's response, nicest way to say it. In the Bible, they translate things nicely when they probably shouldn't have, okay? Paul's response is don't be stupid. That's Paul's response to that question. If there's grace, shouldn't we sin more so grace abounds more? Because like, as sin goes up, grace goes up, that's good, right? And Paul's like, don't be stupid. Now, in the Bible, it says, surely not. But many commentators, it's, don't be stupid. And he's saying that to me because that's what I do. Don't be stupid. When God says you will actually die, he means you will actually die. The second one, second reason that we struggle with this question is because we don't trust God. I don't have lots of verses for this one. In fact, I don't have any verses for this one because the verses are too many. The reason we continue to sin and the reason that we continue to struggle by being manipulated with God and the reason that we still struggle with the same things that we struggled with for 15, 20, 25, 30 years is because we don't actually trust that doing it God's way is better. Recently, I, I, I made, it wasn't a mistake, I, I sinned. And what happened was I thought in that moment that doing this would have a better result than if I just let God handle it. That's what sin is, is we believe that doing it this way is better for us than doing it God's way. And man, was I guilty. I thought it was better for me. Guess what? It wasn't. It was awful. It was terrible. I'd have so many awkward conversations. I hated it. Hated every minute of it. It was stupid. But in that moment, I didn't trust God. In this moment, Eve didn't trust God. In this moment, she thought it was better for her. But this is where we get it. This is where we get struggling. Eve wanted to be like God. We see that Eve wanted to be like God. She thought if she ate this fruit from this tree, she would be like God. That's a good thing. Sin is trying to get the good thing, but not God's way. God's goal for us is to be like him. But Eve in this moment said, I want the shortcut. I want the fast track. I don't wanna do it step by step, day by day. I don't trust that God's good enough for that. And I think we're all in this boat. I think if we're all gonna be honest, there's places in our lives where we continue to have sin issues. And if we look at it, the reason for that sin is because I don't actually believe, I don't actually believe that what the Bible says about God, that he's actually gonna do it. That's why I have anxiety. So I don't believe that all things work out for the good, for those who trust and believe in him and are called according to his purpose. I don't, I don't buy that. If I bought that, I wouldn't have anxiety. Here's why. Because here's this moment and all I can see is this terrible stuff and it's not going well, it's not going good. Romans, someone will even say, Romans 8, 28. Well, it doesn't mean what it says, it's metaphorical. What if it's not? What if God really means it's gonna work out for good? Maybe not the good you want, but the overarching overall good of God will work out in your life because God said so. But I have situational anxiety because I don't buy it. I don't trust in that. Again, I'm not talking about diagnosed anxiety. I'm talking about situational anxiety where the situational moment overwhelms me. It's not a chemical imbalance. It's just, I can't 
handle life sometimes. But all of our sin, all of our struggle, all of our stuff comes back to not trusting God. Let me say it this way. All of my sin, all of my stuff, everything I struggle with in this moment is all based on the fact that I don't know scripture and what I do know I don't trust. And that's why with one question, Satan was able to change the entire trajectory of the human race. Did God really say that? I don't, I don't actually know. I don't, I don't, I don't, I didn't read that part. I, I don't know. Or did God actually say he did? Mm. But can I trust that? I know I've read it. I know he said it. And I've probably heard messages on it in Sunday schools and read books about it. But when the heat's on in that moment, do I trust it? We've got to know scripture and we've got to trust it. Because then whenever the enemy asks, did God really say? Yes, he did. And I believe he meant it. Let's pray. Oh God, forgive us. Forgive me. Forgive me for my lack of trust and my wanting to do it on my own and my desire to be self-sufficient, which is nowhere in scripture. You want me to be you sufficient. God, help me to delight in your word. Help me to delight in your covenants and your commandments and your laws and your statutes. They're not great. There's not a ton of them in the New Testament, but God, they're hard. They're hard. But God, when the enemy comes at me, when the enemy comes at this church, when the enemy comes at these people, God, I pray that they can say, yes, I know God said that, and yes, I believe he meant it. That we trust you. That no matter what the world looks like, no matter what Satan is putting in front of us, no matter how he's manipulating us or twisting our mind or twisting our thoughts, God, that we can rest in the knowledge that you have overcome him. He's already a defeated enemy. We just need to stand on your word, trust it, believe it, and apply it. And God, forgive us over and over and over when we don't. God, forgive me over and over and over when I don't. God, your grace is wonderful. Your word is wonderful. Help us to absorb it, to soak in it, to live it, to love it, and to apply it every moment of every day. God, watch us and help us to watch with anticipation of of what you do when we follow your word. And help us to believe that life is always better doing doing it how you want us to do it versus doing it on our own. God, we ask all these things in the name of Jesus.